0: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Why don't you stand to your feet as we um, sing together. Open up the heavens. Let's sing and raise our voices. we waited for the stairs.
1: to see everybody here Uh, talking about pack a pew sunday uh, we have a special person with a birthday on wednesday david smith is going to be 75 if you're here to help celebrate that would you stand up look at this over here come on (laughs) so anyway Is there some kind of bonus we have for visitors or a hairy jelly bean or something we're going to give? them Anyway, happy birthday, David. Special day, I know, for you. That was a surprise, too, y'all. He came in here this morning, didn't even know they were here. So that's awesome. So thanks for doing that, y'all. We do want to welcome all of our guests that are with us. If you're here and a guest of ours, please get one of the care cards. It's there in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, We like to have a record of you being here and at least send send something from Pitt's. To you uh, to thank you for being with us in worship today. On the back of the care card, if anybody has a prayer need, uh, that's members and guests, we ask you to fill that in. We want to be praying for you as a staff, and you can leave that in the boxes and the round tables as you leave today, and we'll make sure uh, that we get those and pray for you. We do get those uh, and see those, and we want to be praying for you, so please fill that in. Uh, I do want to draw your attention to our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. We've been taking that up this month through the month of April. It'll be open through today. But folks, you have given over fifty eight thousand dollars toward our fifty seven thousand dollars goal uh, for North American missions. That goes directly to our missionaries in North America. So thank you very much. Last year we gave a little over fifty seven thousand, and you folks, as Pitts Baptist Church, were the number one giving church in North Carolina over 4,400 churches in North Carolina, you guys were the number one church. So that's to be commended and that goes right to mission. So thank you uh, for all of your giving toward that. We will again, leave that open through today if you would like to give. We do have a very special uh, call church conference tonight at five o'clock dealing with our incorporation for our church, so it's pretty important. Uh, We have to do this under an official call church business meeting. Some of it's just formality. But we want you to be here tonight at five to uh, go ahead and take care of those issues. There'll be folks here to explain what that means and looks like. Uh, But a lot of it is just formality. And again, that's tonight at five o'clock. Today is the deadline to participate in our parent child dedication Sunday on May the 8th. There will be a training class next Sunday at nine o'clock in the morning uh, in the kids worship room. There's an online form to sign up for that on our website or you can just see Amy Alley. Uh, after the service to make sure that you're signed up and that's for parents who want to dedicate their children uh, to the lord and their family to the lord if you've not done that yet we would encourage you to be a part of that there are two uh, ladies events coming up Uh, first of all they're starting growth groups which is basically to put ladies together in relationship and, and most of the time those groups are people that you would not normally see in a sunday school class community group Um, and it's a mix and so there's some mentoring going on and I think that's so important in the health of a church for senior adults to see some of our our young adults our middle adults the same and so we want to encourage you to get signed up for that and registration is due by next Sunday so if you would uh, there's some information at the information desk at the back and then a fruitful life ladies event is coming up on Thursday May the 5th that is our ladies tea and for ladies uh, 10 and up that's it's ten dollars to come and i'm sure it includes a lot of the food and all that's going on there and then three to nine year old uh, children is five dollars and the sign-up deadline for that is may 1st next sunday and then don't forget about next sunday it's our senior adult sunday next sunday we will have a special speaker here a lot of special things to highlight senior adult ministry uh, and so that's next sunday so be looking forward to that a lot going on Uh, When May hits, folks, it gets busy. And so be listening to what's going on here at Pitts. And uh, we want you to be involved in more than just coming to church. It's important to come to church, but there's a lot of things happening for all different age groups that we want you to be plugged into. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you'll take just a moment to silent your heart where you are and maybe pray to the Lord silently. And then I'll open up out loud. Let's pray together. God, what a blessing it is to come and to be in the house of the Lord to meet with your church today. God, we pray that we would be encouraged, we would be challenged. God, that you would give the words to our pastor uh, to speak to us, and God, we ask that you would speak through him, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that our hearts would be open to what you might want to say to us today. God, we do um, just thank you for blessing us and taking care of us, God, for All of the needs that are represented in this room, we know there are probably personal issues, there are probably some family issues and maybe some illness. God, we lift those before you right now in the silence of where we're seated. And we know, God, that you know about those. And we pray that you would give us wisdom in those situations. God, we thank you for allowing us to celebrate with our family, to have these folks here to celebrate with Brother David with his birthday. God, we celebrate with him. God, we're an extended family here at this church, and so we rejoice when our members rejoice. We pray that he would have a great day today and Wednesday. God, we just pray for this service, that you would be honored by it. God, we pray for our country, that you would give our leaders wisdom. Uh, And we just pray, God, uh, that you would give us an awesome day to worship and honor you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: You stand. So we sing this classic, classic chorus together, expressing our love to our Savior. Jesus.
2: Denver is such a beautiful place, but it's a very lonely place. People are just looking for community. There is one marijuana dispensary for every 2,000 people, one brewery for every 7,000, and one evangelical church for every 32,000 people. And the Lord has just like softened my heart to that. And I'm like, I have to go. A journeyman is a recently graduated college student who then serves for two years in a city to help support the church plant that needs help um, and needs more resources to further their mission. And so my biggest thing as journeyman is relationships, taking time to hear someone's story and hear what needs they have and just like be friends with them without a hidden agenda. Like with Placebridge Academy, which is a refugee magnet school, there was people praying that there would be strong believers come into that community and reach them. We actually found out that one of their community directors there at the school is a believer. And she was the door into letting us come in and serve their community. We are reaching 40 different countries in one place. There is so much work to be done and so few laborers to help do it. Like, that's why I pour my heart and soul into these mission teams, that they can just like catch a little bit of vision of what's going on here so more of them will come. I feel like it was just yesterday that I was a college student and I gave God this blank check and truly gave up control and he's brought me here.
3: What a great testimony! Thank you again for your giving to Annie Armstrong, as Pastor Seegers just mentioned. Our goal of 58, uh, fifty-seven thousand, and you've given over fifty-eight thousand. What a wonderful uh, testimony uh, you are in your mission giving! So thank you again for your generosity uh, in that regard. And uh, David, where are you? He's not there. He is. My congratulations, too, on 75. And I promise you, you don't look a day over 85. (laughs) I better not pick on you, though, because I'm not that far behind you. I'm 15 and a half, 16 years behind you is all. So anyway, Uh, let me ask you as we get ready to... uh, begin the time of scripture reading and the message to remember uh, Karen Pinkley. Uh, She is in our senior adult class. Uh, Many remember her husband, one of uh, the retired pastors uh, in our association. And uh, yes, uh, excuse me, day before yesterday, uh, Karen's daughter, 54 years of age, Charlotte, passed away and so please remember uh, Karen they had been taking care of Charlotte in their home Uh, Karen and her oldest daughter uh, Charlotte had had a series of strokes and they don't really know if that's what it was again or what but anyway uh, she did she did die and they are going to have arrangements somewhere down in Florida at a future date where they're from Just remember this family in prayer if you would please Uh, I'm gonna ask you to find Genesis 23 in your copy of the scripture and today we are closing out our series on Abraham we've been looking at Abraham for about eight weeks now and I said at the very outset it's wonderful to look At the storyline of biblical characters because Paul tells us in 1st Corinthians in the New Testament that even the Old Testament Saints are a lesson to us the things that happen to them are for our benefit the way we see God dealing with these Old Testament characters is the way he deals with us in, in many respects because he's the same yesterday today and forever and so we've covered a good bit of ground so far on abraham and we'll read chapter twenty three in its entirety this morning but then we're just gonna read the first nine verses of twenty four in the context of the message and then only verses seven and eight of chapter twenty five so never don't fear we're not reading three whole chapters before we get started But anyway, if you would uh, stand for the reading of God's word, please. We're looking this morning at the subject matter, dying grace. Dying grace. Uh, Genesis 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among the people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it for me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the border of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property, in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Father, we're so grateful for what we have read thus far about Abraham. He's a man that the scripture later calls the friend of God. And Lord, what a huge assignment you gave to him to leave his father's land and people, cut ties with all of his securities in life, and go to a new land that you were going to show him and give to him as an inheritance. Lord, we thank you for the lessons that we've learned. The lessons of obedience and surrender. But at times, lessons of stumbling and faltering and having to start over once again. But Lord, through it all, we've seen your plan and purposes with Abraham. And God, I do pray that the points, the principles that we've covered thus far, that we would see how much these things apply to us. Though we're reading an ancient text, they're very contemporary because this is your word, your holy, inspired, inerrant word. Lord, speak to us today through your word. May your Holy Spirit take it and work in each mind and heart according to your will. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. King Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1, Solomon writes, A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death Than the day of one's birth. Now folks he is not saying as some suppose that death is better than life. He's saying that the name given to you at your birth is like a fragrant ointment. And it's better to die with your name and reputation intact than to die as a disgrace. You can die with a sweet-smelling name, or you can die with a name that stinks. People can have good memories of you or bad memories of you. So far in the book of Genesis, we've been studying, as I've said, the life of Abraham. And uh, we hear descriptions of him being called names like the friend of God in scripture. and, And we hear things like that and we need to understand what was it about his life that he's called this. Because his characteristics need to be our characteristics as well. He's the father of the faithful. You know, God awarded Abraham with a good name. God rewarded him with a good reputation even after he was gone. And so again, we need to learn principles from a life like that. Now so far we've seen Abraham's obedience. He was called to sever ties with his past. God wanted him to leave his father's household to go to a new land where God was going to bless him with many descendants. Uh, Abraham obeyed even though he had not received all of the details yet. And you know, that's what it means to walk by faith. We trust God today, the next step we take, even though we may not see the full journey ahead. That's why it's called walking by faith. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He walked by faith. He struck out in faith. He left Ur of the Chaldeans and then Haran. And he ventured on down to the land that we know would become later the land of Israel. Now while in the new land of course we also saw how he failed. There was a famine that came up in the land that occurred in the land. And Abraham and Sarah ran down to Egypt. It's like they could trust God to bring them into what would be the promised land. But evidently they didn't trust God to take care of them while they were there going through difficult circumstances. And so they ran down to Egypt. They trusted in Egypt instead of in God, in God who had brought them thus far. In Egypt he was beat up, not literally, but figuratively... He lied about Sarah not being his wife to save his own skin. He came back to Canaan uh, a whipped man. And his name had taken something of uh, a black mark on it because of his lies. But then once he gets back to the promised land again, he shows himself benevolent towards his nephew Lot. And on and on we've read about Abraham. That's how his life seemed to go. He would have victories and praise God for those. But then he would have weak moments and he would stumble and God would correct him. And he would repent of his sin and he would get back on track and God would use him again. Aren't you glad we serve a God of the second chance? and of the third chance and so forth and that's how God worked with Abram and again through it all we see Abram learning to walk by faith the overall direction of his life was upward it was Godward. and that's what makes him such a great example to us he never gave up yes he stumbled at times But again, he changed course, he got back on the right path with God, and he continued to grow in his relationship with God. And folks, today we're going to see how both Abraham and his wife Sarah died with that kind of grace as well. And we're going to see that when we've lived for God, we can die for God. And that's how we are to die. We are to die for God. Even in our death, our lives, everything about our lives from birth to death, we know are to be lived for the glory of God. Now first of all this morning I just simply want you to see as we begin the death of Sarah that we've just read about in chapter 23. She's been such a great wife to Abraham and a wonderful mother to Isaac she had her faults too but God called her a princess back in chapter 17 and she is also listed in the New Testament in Hebrews 11 in that chapter known as the heroes of the faith furthermore the Apostle Peter in 1st Peter chapter 3 says that Sarah is an example for all women of faith today. Now verse 2 tells us that she died, and Abraham mourned for her, he wept for her, and that speaks volumes to us. And uh, what I want to do is cover some principles to this point, like we've been doing in previous messages. And the first principle I want you to understand from her death is that we all die. Sarah was a godly woman, and yet look at what happens to her, what happens to everybody. She died. She was not spared having to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some years ago, an artist painted a picture showing a mountain of skulls. And at first glance, all of the skulls appeared to be the same. But when you look closely at them, you would notice writing on each skull. One said doctor, another teacher, another secretary, another lawyer, another brick mason, another judge... And so forth and so on. There were hundreds of skulls in this painting. And each one of these represented a different occupation. And the artist's message was that death is the leveler, the great leveler of all of humanity. The rich die. The poor die. Whatever your place or position in life is, you and I are going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just like Sarah did. You know, there's a fundamental truth we all need to face. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Think of that word appointed. It means destined or ordained we are all destined we are all ordained to die And we have an appointment with death. You know, life now, our lives are filled with appointments. We have all kinds of appointments. And some of your appointments you may miss, you may skip, you may forget about, you may run late for. But there is one appointment that we will not be late for and that is the time of our appointed death. You look out here at the church cemetery and you see where all of humanity is headed. You may have heard the old joke. used to be popular, I think, decades ago. Why do they build fences around cemeteries? Because everybody is dying to get in there. You know, we kind of laugh uncomfortably with that, but we know it's true. And notice what the writer of Hebrews said. It is appointed unto man once to die. We die once. We don't live and die and come back as somebody or something else and live again, die again, come back. No, it is appointed unto man to die once. Now let me say there is going to be an exception to this principle. Because the Bible points out there will be a generation alive when Jesus comes back for his bride, the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that we will not precede those up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. They will be caught up first and then those who are alive at his coming will be caught up to meet them in the clouds with the Lord in the sky. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this as well. There is coming a day when Christ returns. It will be in the twinkling of an eye. It will be instantaneous. And Paul says "We we will not all sleep but we will all be changed. That is we won't all die because again there's this generation alive when Christ returns. Who knows it could be in our time. A generation alive, but we'll all be changed. Even those alive won't go up into glory the way we are because Paul says this perishable must put on the imperishable. So again, we won't all sleep, we won't all die, but we will all be changed. Some churches put that in their nursery over the nursery rooms. All will not sleep, but they will all be changed. But anyway... (laughs) The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Folks, can you imagine being the generation alive? What if it is in our lifetime? Jesus comes back. We see his coming. He splits the sky. We hear that trumpet sound and we're raptured up to meet him in the air. What, What a great thing that is going to be. But again, for most of mankind, certainly for all of those who have gone before us, it is appointed unto man once to die. But a second principle I want you to see, death is not the end. I remember a movie Connie and I saw, probably two. 15 or 20 years ago a movie called Expelled and Ben Stein was interviewing a guy in that documentary and that guy tried to say Ben when you die you die that's it there's nothing more you know that's what the Epicureans taught in the Apostle Paul's day and so they concluded eat drink and be merry for tomorrow you may die in other words Just party life away. Go for the gusto. But folks, that is not what the Bible teaches. Either you are going to accept that life is one big coincidence, an accident, and it has no meaning and no purpose, or you're going to accept that you've been created in the image of God. Life is a gift from God. and God has a purpose and God has a destiny for you. You know, the Bible affirms that everybody will go out into eternity in either one of two locations, heaven or hell. You know, we like to assume that everybody dies and goes to heaven. But Jesus said, actually, the road that leads to destruction is broad and wide. And there's many who travel that road. And Jesus said the road leading to eternal life is narrow. And there's actually few who travel that road but only two destinies but the fact of the matter is you and I are going to live somewhere for all of eternity John in Revelation Revelation 20 says I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So again, we all die and death is not the end. A third principle, Christian death is distinctive. Not only is it distinctive in the sense that Christians go into everlasting life, but folks, our whole entire attitude and approach to death ought to be much different than the unbelieving world. You know, I've even heard folks say at times who've lost loved ones, they'll they'll say to somebody else who's lost a loved one, don't cry. But folks, we've got to understand even Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he wept. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, didn't say don't cry. What he said was, we don't grieve as others who have no hope. We still grieve because we're going to miss our loved ones. But we don't grieve as those who have no hope because if they were believers, we know where they are they're with Jesus and they're better off than they've ever been before Dr. Vance Havner is probably one of the most quoted preachers of all times and and when his wife died somebody said Dr. Havner I'm sorry you've lost your wife and he said no I didn't lose my wife because I know exactly where she is she's with the Lord that's the attitude we should have as believers that's the assurances that we have and so while we grieve again our grief is different for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord turn with me to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 if you would please 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and beginning there in verse 1 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and again, one day it will be, this life is compared to something temporary like a tent, He goes on to say, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Did any of you wake up this morning with groans? That's life in this tent. He says, uh, meanwhile we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we're clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan in our burden. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who's given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body... And at home with the Lord. And so we make it our goal to please him. Whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. Whether good or bad. You know John in Revelation. John wrote in Revelation 14 verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Folks, what I'm saying is Christian death is distinctive. It is very different uh, in how we approach the subject versus how unbelievers in the world approach the subject. You know, Job, in the book of Job, talks about how the ungodly die. In Job 18, he gives some insight. Uh, he, He describes the death of the unbelievers as putting out a light. He goes on to describe it as trapping an animal or a bird. Or as uprooting a tree. So what a difference it makes to know Jesus Christ as your Savior... He's the resurrection and the life. Just as Jesus said to Mary and Martha in John 11, he said, though a man dies, yet shall he live again. Sarah died. Now, folks, it may interest you to know that the Bible doesn't record many deathbed scenes. The old the Old Testament generally just says so and so lived, so and so died. They were gathered to their ancestors. And that's usually all that the Bible says about death in the Old Testament. And so it's very interesting that here in the book of Genesis, we have an entire chapter devoted to Sarah's death. Why? Because again, we see some very distinctive elements in it and we see also in the Bible that life matters we are created in the image of God with purpose and so when somebody passes away that is the passing of a life that God created you know you can tell a lot about a culture in how they treat the deceased Abraham goes on in this chapter to take great pains To acquire a piece of property so he can bury his precious wife. Why? Because it mattered. We don't just throw people away like they're garbage. You don't say to your son, Son, did you put grandma out on the curb? You know, tomorrow morning's trash day. We don't do that. We approach death with a certain reverence I I think about the loving care many of our church members go through when they're approaching their own death they'll come by the church office they'll want to talk about their service and they'll want a service that magnifies and glorifies Jesus and talks about salvation in him and really talks about the Christian hope that we have I love it when people do that again it's an opportunity to present something about our faith in God. That's what Abraham is doing here. He's, he's going through methodically taking care of all of the arrangements. He respected his precious wife. And now he's taken care of her even in her death. This shows something else too, another principle. Treasures in this life do not last. Notice that Abraham had to negotiate with the men of the area for for a plot of land to bury Sarah. Now stay with me for a moment because I want to tie it in with my point here about treasures not lasting. What Abraham did here is a wonderful thing. He did not carry Sarah back to Ur of the Chaldeans. And you see that was an act of faith. He knew that God had given the land they were in Then, at the time of her death, God had given that land to them, even though they did not have the full possession of it yet. And so he wants to bury his wife there, in the land God's going to give them. It's an act of faith. You know, here's Abraham, though, with all of his wealth. And I want you to notice, he and Sarah did not own the land yet. In fact, he even has to negotiate for something so simple as a burial plot. And that affirms what the New Testament tells us about Abraham, that he was a sojourner in the land. He was a pilgrim. He lived in tents. He did not even own land to bury his wife. And you know what he becomes to us a testimony of? He becomes a testimony to us that we are to hold on to the things of this life. Very loosely. Amen. We're only pilgrims passing through. Folks, I don't care how wealthy you are. When you die, your soul and spirit go to be with the Lord. But all of your earthly remains, uh, they'll go into a hole in the ground. And and all of your possessions that you have won't mean anything. I've never seen a U-Haul being towed behind a hearse. And that ought to help us do what? That ought to help us put life in perspective. What is it that matters? What matters is that we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That we keep our eyes on Jesus. That we live for Him. We live for whatever assignment He's given us in life. Our faith, our trust is not to be in the riches of this world because they're going to fade away. I love what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we will not carry anything out of this world either. Sarah and Abraham both would end up leaving this world with absolutely nothing in their hands, and that's how you and I will leave this earth too what are you living for can I ask you that question this morning what are you living for what are you using all of your time and energies and and resources in how are you spending your days are you like a hamster on a wheel that you, you know, you're living for this age and you're just running, running, running Trying to accumulate all you can, live as comfortable as you can, living it up If that's how you're living, you're missing the whole point of a Christian's life It's just like this lady, this college girl in this video we just watched She approached her life mission as open hands to God God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Folks, ultimately that is the only life that's going to count for something. Don't get to the end of your life. You've been climbing the ladder through your whole entire life and you get to the end of your life and you discover too late that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. How tragic that will be secondly i want you to see this morning the death of abraham the death of abraham pick up reading with me in verse one of chapter 24 abraham was now very old and the lord had blessed him in every way he said to the senior servant in his household the one in charge of all that he had put your hand under my thigh i want you to swear by the lord the god of heaven and the god of earth that you will not get a wife for my son "'from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, "'but will go to my country and my own relatives "'and get a wife for my son Isaac. "'The servant asked him, "'What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? "'Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from?' Abraham responds, Make sure that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring I will give this land... He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Now there's a couple of great lessons I want us to learn here about Abraham's impending death and then his death. We're going to see one in chap, one lesson from chapter 24 and the other from chapter 25. I want you to notice from chapter 24, the lesson here is he finished his life's work. Abraham knew how important it was in life to finish what God had given him to do. And now, given the fact that marriages back then were arranged by parents, they they would seek a mate from among their people for their children. Uh, So it would have been highly unusual for Abraham not to address this matter. And again, he knows that Isaac is the son of promise. And so the blessings that God has given and the promises God has given to Abraham are now going to be passed down through Abraham's son Isaac. And so what's Abraham doing? He's turning his attention now from away, away from anything about his own life. And he's putting his energies in getting Isaac ready to be the next patriarch. The one through whom the promises of God are going to continue to march forward. And this says volumes to me about the need to finish our life's work. Because we've already seen we're not going to live forever in these bodies the way they are on this earth the way it is. And that means you and I only have a given amount of time to do whatever it is that God's called us to do. So again I ask you, what's God called you to do? What's he gifted you to do? What contribution are you making to the kingdom of God? Folks, we are to live life now with eternity in mind. Because think about it. Even if you live to be 90 years of age, you're going to live somewhere in eternity forever and ever and ever without end. And so are you living your life now with eternity in mind? We're not to just be taking up space until we die. I think of what Moses prayed in Psalm 90. He said, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or thou didst give birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children uh, of man. He goes on to say, all our days have have." "...have declined in your fury. We finish our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Or if due to strength, they're 80 years. Yet they are filled with labor and sorrow. For soon our days are gone and we fly away." He concludes the matter. He says, "...so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom." Moses is saying, God, life is short. Life is short on this earth. David, has it amazed you how fast 75 years have gone by? It's absolutely amazing how fast it goes by. Life is short. And so Moses in Psalm 90 is saying, God, help me to live with that thought in mind. Teach me your ways, God. Show me and give me a heart of wisdom that this is the type of life that I can give back to you. A life lived in godly fear and wisdom. We need to live well. We need to finish well. And that's what Abraham is doing right here. He's finishing his assignment. I think of the Apostle Paul when he knew he was in prison for the last time. That he was going to be put to death this time. And he's passing the baton to Timothy. He said, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's convenient or not, when people listen or not, because the time's going to come that they won't listen to sound uh, teaching. They're going to accumulate for themselves, because they're itching ears, uh, speakers who will tell them what they want to hear. But he said, Timothy, don't get into all that. You preach the word. You be faithful. You fulfill your ministry. You do the work of an evangelist. The baton is passed to you now. He goes on to say, because I have run my race, I've finished my course, and I've kept the faith. Finishing well. That's what we see in Abraham here. And because of that, we see one more principle about his life I want to point out in Genesis chapter 25. Look at verses 7 and 8. Abraham lived a hundred and seventy-five years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. I love those verses right there. If you're reading from the New American Standard translation, when it says that he lived as an old man and full of years, it says that he died satisfied with his years. That's a very literal translation of the Hebrew there. Abraham got to the end of his life. And while there might have been some things in his life he would have wished he could go back and do differently. Yet when he looked at the scope of his life, he was satisfied with the years that God had given him and how he had lived his life. No regrets. What if you were to die today? Or what if you had an illness, you knew you were going to die soon? Maybe I'm speaking to somebody in that scenario. Are you able to die without any regrets? You know, I like what Jesus did in John 17 in his high priestly prayer. He prayed to God and he said, Father, what you have given me to do, I have done. I have accomplished your will. Folks, when you live that way, you can die in peace. Amen? No regrets. Because you've discovered the purpose God's given to you. The gifts He's given you. What you're to live for. You've lived with that purpose in mind. Maybe not perfectly, because like Abraham, we all stumble. But you've pressed on. And you're finishing your course in faith. And when you live that way, you can die that way. When you live in God's grace, you can die in God's grace too. And you can be at peace. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody this morning. I mean, you want to finish that that way. Obviously, we all want to finish that way. But what if you keep doing exactly what you're doing now, the way you're doing it right now? What if your life continues to be about exactly what your life is about right now? Are you going to be able to look God in the face one day and say, Father, what you gave me to do, I have done. And if you can't, then there's some house cleaning you need to do. There's some changes you need to make in your life. And I have a pretty good feeling you probably even know what those changes are that you need to make. Live well. Live for Christ. So you can die for Christ without any regrets. What an example Abraham is to us in that regard. I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer with me please. And as you bow, every head bowed, every eye closed, just examine your own life right now in light of what we've said. Is there a heart of obedience in you? Do you do what God asks of you in His Word? Abraham did. Am I speaking to somebody this morning that needs to surrender their life to Christ? The book of 1 John in the New Testament says God God commands us to believe upon His Son. Have you obeyed that command and believed upon Christ, trusted Him and Him alone for your salvation? Are you seeking and following the course that God has for you? When you do stumble, do you repent and get back on course with your journey of glorifying Christ? Is there anything in your life that you need to address? Who knows It could be this week That you stand before God Are you living with the right priorities Father we do thank you For the life of Abraham and Sarah They are a testimony To us today And I pray that we would not miss The lessons That their lives show us God we are so grateful for your work in Abraham because we know through your promises to him eventually through his descendants the Messiah came according to the flesh and he died for us was buried and rose again on the third day and all who place their faith in him and him alone are likewise children of Abraham. Children according to the promise. So we do thank you for the life of this man in the Old Testament and what we've learned through studying his life. But Lord, just like we read about in Hebrews chapter 12, Abraham's not the one running his course right now. We're the ones in the arena running. Help us to run our race with our eyes fastened upon Jesus. Lord, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.